everyone. It's the Hot Brown Morning Potion Podcast with your hosts, Tamika and Haley. And we're here with Aaron and Vilas for the first time um, to talk about season five, the bombastic season five. <laughs> uh, how are you guys doing? Thanks for joining us. Doing great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Vilas, it's like your first time. So that's Vilas who? Time. Did you say, does everyone know who Vilas is? Yeah, Vilas, let us tell us. Actually, that's probably really our first question we had. Liz is like, tell us who you are. Tell us some of your, you know, your journey and and like, you know, your role with the Dragon Prince. Well, luckily, there's only one Vilas. You know, usually when I go, I don't have to give in my my last name. It's like you go to the DMV or I go anywhere. You know, uh, at the border, they're like, you know, they it's just that one Vilas. But I think it's exploding. I'm starting a small trend here. I seen I seen kids at the playground. In back home in Denmark, you know, where the mothers will be like, Vilas, Vilas, I'll look <laughs> over my shoulder and be like, I don't know you, mother. And then I realize it's not me, it's the kid. So, so yeah, I'm Danish. I uh, traveled to uh, the, the West Coast of the continent to uh, direct the first three seasons of this show together with my dear friends, Aaron Ehas and Justin and Justin. Uh, and uh, we have been uh, working on this show for a long time now. It's been lots of fun. And I sort of moved a little bit out of the directing into producing the show, which I've been doing the last few years now. Awesome. I, I get it about the, actually the name thing. I, I am too, I'm a child that never, usually if there's a, a Tamika on the list, it's me in the school. And then usually, you know, the DMV, and I don't exactly find my name at like, you know, those like little personable name things. So... I get that. Well, at least you don't get Phyllis at Starbucks. Or like, I get a lot of, Starbucks is always the best. I went there this morning and I ordered something very simple and she spent probably two to three minutes was just like trying to get my name down and she wanted to get it right. But she just sort of paused or like, it's like the machine stopped working when she had to put in the silent D. Uh, so, the, so the joke works even in real life as well. I understand that a little bit. Well, um, so first of all, I guess season five, uh, we, we we did our review of it, of course. But Haley, what do you, you know, want to go over like our general thoughts? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, just yeah, to summarize, I really liked it. Um, it was I thought it was like a, a huge step up over season four in terms of like just like all the like just how quickly it went gone into the good stuff and all the lore we learned and yeah but we have a long review about that <laughs> cool you said it was bombastic yeah i'm 100 sure what bombastic means what do you mean by oh, that? Man. have you ever seen that meme oh well i guess oh man there's like several layers of meme going on here um there's a meme that goes bombastic side eye and it's just basically okay. bombastic it's like saying bombastic is just like huge it's like like a bomb you know like okay. bombastic so like almost like fantastic but not necessarily <laughs> not necessarily positive it's just basically like like boom so like big um okay. i'd say that just because season five yeah it was like um whereas i like season four but season five was definitely me i i think season five a little bit is like oh this season's a little scandalous <laughs> this is like slightly scandalous um and we and the rating there were things in the season where I was like, can they do that at this TV rating? Like, can we do that? 
Usually it yeah. was, I think it was, it was usually a Devin episode that I had to ask this question, uh-huh. but it was kind of like every 15 to 30 minutes. I was like, huh. can they, can they do that on this, on the yeah. show? Yeah, I guess they can. I guess they can. Um, we had to sneak it onto Netflix. We had to like literally just say, all right, no, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. We got it. No, you yeah. got it. It's good. <laughs> it's good. Sort of like a lot of Jedi mind tricks to get them. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of work and conversation that goes into that balance of can you do that given this rating what are what's the creative intention of the story are there uh creative clever subtle ways to tell the story with the full maturity and impact we want it to have but also kind of skating beneath the line of being kind of safe for our younger audiences and um more and more we're testing that line where we're learning hey it's getting harder and harder to tell this story within those limits so we're still we're still figuring it out as we move forward. That makes total sense. Um, so I guess we kind of asked our first question, which was really about Vila. Didn't want to like have a new guest on the show and just be like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're gonna skip completely over who you are. I was like, no. <laughs> um, so our next question is um, one of the most interesting conversations in the season. I think it kind of ends up here. One of the most interesting conversations in the season was Ezra and Callum's brief disagreement about the Nova Blade, with Callum wanting to retrieve it as a safety net and Ezra wanting to move forward in a more pacifist stance. What was the writing process like for that scene um, slash highlighted difference between the brothers? Remind me, so exactly where that happens. It's in like, early in the season it's right yeah. after is it the, early or in the middle oh, it's like the middle i guess it's like right after the um it's i think it's episode five i think it's, i can't remember exactly what ezrin's stance was so i think it was basically um, isn't that disappointing that i'm like i don't know tell me which episode i don't remember anything. i mean I, i'm a writer yeah. too i get it i don't yeah. remember what i wrote like five, three years ago i mean it's like it's new it's a new adventure for me too but um it was when i think it was um episode five yeah. where the, Callum already knows about the Nova Blade. He wants to do the stabby stabby with, you know, Erebos, I guess, because he learns that the Nova Blade can end a mortal, um, end a Star Touch Elves immortal existence or mortal, ex- yeah, immortal existence. And he wants to go get the blade. But um, I think Ezrin wants to go see um, Archmage Q and he wants to just do, like, Ezrin wants to do the pacifist thing and, and Callum wants to go get the weapon, basically. Yeah, Vilas, do you have a, a comment on that? I mean, yeah, go ahead. I, uh, you know, no, I just, I think, you know, Callum is maybe like just being sort of excited that he's, you know, about solutions. Uh, and Isran is definitely thinking a little bit more about it, right? Uh, and, you know, so, and that's just, as the season progress, I think you see more of, the, more, more of that, you know. Um, and it's just, it's always lovely to follow characters grow like this. Uh, and season five is, is a great example of, you know, both characters, you know, growing uh, and becoming more interesting and, and, and that, that will continue uh, for sure. I mean, I think we started that in season one and it's continuing, ever continuing. <laughs> I'll tell you a little bit also, I will tell you, because I've thought about this, why I paused a moment and had to reflect on what you were talking about. Um, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but not too much of a spoiler. Uh, which is to say that 
in the coming seasons, we will test Ezrin's pacifist instincts. So I think to some degree, it's probably setting a base level and we've seen what an idealist he is and we've seen what he strives towards, um, but, you know, kind of in the same way we saw Aang need to be tested and, and like, well, how are you going to face the Fire Lord without violence, dude? Like, you know, we're going to see Ezrin face some of the limits of his idealism, of his pacifist stance and see what where that takes him. I'm actually really excited about that. My one yeah. like little wish list thing is I kind of want... Um... I've always wanted Ezrin and Gallum to have a like a sincere argument about something and for Ezrin to like pull rank on him a little bit kind of almost like a callback to his own father and um, with Viren, probably not to that extent, but in a way it's been very similar and there was a lot of callbacks I know in season five back to season two, there were several moments of callbacks. Um, but I actually really excited about that because one of the things that I think sometimes we see in the fandom and Haley can definitely test because we, you know, we see it a lot in the discord where it's like, I think that people think it's like Ezrin, you know, it's like he's naive, you know, he's not, he's foolish or whatever. So sometimes um, our fans are like kind of critical of him. It's like, yeah, he is naive. He not only say foolish, he is idealistic because he's, you know, but he's also, he's carrying this heavy weight because he's yeah. a 12 year old king. Like, the tragedy is like, and I think that's almost like a planing for me, it's planing your face. Like the tragedy is that he is a king and he is a child. Like that's kind of in your face. It's kind of like that is the tragedy. It's not um a side thing to the tragedy. Like that is the tragedy. He should not have to be worried about this. And Soren kind of right. very aptly calls it out in the season. Right. Harrow says, you know, I think the second episode, a child is freer than a king. So is <laughs> In some ways, he's he's moved backwards, right? He's like, he's he's taken on responsibility and constraints that that have made his life harder. Um, yeah, to your point about conflict between Callum and Ezra, and I think you know we actually talked about that briefly when in season four, when they're deciding what to do next, and they end up sort of voting. I think Rayla ends up deciding sort of two versus one what they're going to do, so that we didn't have it be like Ezra going, "Well, I'm the king, and I get to make." But I will say that that a version of what you're wishing for and a one-on-one -on -one conflict between the two of them could happen. And how do they resolve it? They're brothers, they're equals, but also Ezrin is the king. So what does that lead to? I'm just excited about that. I love me some politics and family drama in any yeah. like format. That's why it's actually it's funny because for me, that's actually I think where Janai and Amaya started getting really interesting to me. I've seen mm. season four where it was like, there's politics in here. It's a little Game of thrones -y, like slightly. Not a lot, but slightly. And I mean, anytime where we start putting poli political struggles with like relationships and family and then power struggles, I'm like, listen, I'm here for it. But uh, Haley, you can got the next question. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So this one is about Viren and, you know, how throughout the first few seasons, we saw that Viren often would um take the essence of and consume butterflies to you know renew his his good looks right after too much dark magic <laughs> um but after the metamorphosis uh his metamorphosis in season five he ref refuses to sacrifice sir sparklepuff who you know has butterfly wings and is a butterfly creature so was that intentional symbolism on your guys's part his connection with butterflies from the start 
Do you think that intention needs to be conscious or can you have a subconscious intention? Because I love that. I love that observation. And I wish I could say, yeah, that was intentional. So I'm going to claim subconscious intention, which is to say that something artistic and brilliant deep inside that I was, we weren't even thinking about was like, yes, go do it. Make that. Um, yeah, no, I love that. And I do think there are subconscious things that influence artistic decisions, but, um, to some degree that is a happy accident. I must acknowledge. Well, no, it's, it's still amazing. I love, I love seeing like that connection. I was like, Oh, that's amazing. Even if it wasn't intentional, like, yeah, good stuff. <laughs> That's really funny to me. I mean, that's so true, though. Like when you write, it's like a lot of self subconscious, and you're just like, yeah, absolutely, dude. Like yeah. I meant that. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was your question to me, Ken. I mean, that you wrote, and I was like, whoa. Like I don't think I saw any. I mean, maybe other people pointed that out, but I didn't see that before. So that was cool. I can't take total credit for all that <laughs> for those questions. Like, um, Raylan with two A's. You know, we talk like one of my best dragons one of my best friends you know always has like really deep oh, questions. i literally was gonna bring them up I, oh, really? words with dragons i see their posts and their observations and like very often i'm like wow that's a really good observation like oh I my god hope we came up with that intentionally but it's sort of like you know um i think sometimes you do have like feelings and you recognize that something feels right and like there are aspects of it that sort of emotionally are there and, and like if you trust that emotional feeling sometimes there are kind of um there are subconscious currents of symbolism and things like that that work their way into those emotional decisions even if you aren't you couldn't write the book report on what you did but yeah it's really cool when obviously super smart people like words with dragons <laughs> notice cool things and you want to go like yeah oh yeah we totally meant to do that yeah, if there's a pattern, like they will detect it. If there's so, like, I trust them probably more than most professional writers. I mean, that being said, I would say, I would argue they're a professional writer. They're uh, supposed to be published. I don't know, I'm supposed to say that. But um, I think I am. But uh, yeah, and so those kind of observations. So questions like that, like those very specific questions, you know, um, talk, of course I talk to them like every day. And sometimes I have to be like, hey, you need to like ground, you need to like build this up from the ground up because you're up here and I'm down here. Well, I wouldn't say that. You're like, your level of like observation is like up in the stratosphere. And you ask, so they ask very great questions. Um, So can't take credit for all the questions. My questions are usually, um, uh, we will discuss our questions, of course, but I will, they're usually pretty straightforward and very character digging, um, which where their brain is basically all same. And uh there's like a like there's just some brain cell sharing you guys have which is really funny uh which is really funny because they'll guess there were some things actually they guessed in uh I think season five before it even came out that uh, where there was like they almost got like they they wrote a fic actually about um sparkle puff and it yeah. wasn't exactly like that but there was like an assumption of some kind like like a few months ago that like a there was like a father relationship with mm -hmm. Erevos like like three months ago or something I don't remember Ooh. but it's a little to the left so you know fan appreciation nice. there and, um, yeah in the words of recently deceased Paul Rubens aka um Pee Wee Herman I meant to do that right? I can't quite do it but wasn't that 
Pee Wee Hermanism. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I totally meant to do that. Yeah. Um, so this question is mine, um, for sure, the one hundred percent. What can you say about Rayla and her family? God knows that I am a Renan fan, and I would love to hear Jonathan Holmes' voice once again, eventually, in the show. <laughs> um, I know we saw them a little bit this season, so that was nice, but I would love to know, like, is there anything you can say about what they're to be expecting with the family? Vilas, do you want to grab this one by the horn and by the other broken horn? Yeah. It's a Brunan reference well, for anyone who's... No, Aaron has, Aaron has like a chip implanted in both of us, so he can give a little sap or, or, just, or just end it if I'm spoiling too much. Um, which I think might be a spoiler already. Am I spoiling too much already, Alan? I don't know. I think, I think, yeah. Are we going to hear his voice again? I mean, do we want to say that? Have we had Jonathan Holmes in the booth? Do we want to even reveal? I'm not sure. I think it's a spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. But we all love Jonathan and we all love all of her parents. So uh, yeah, fingers crossed. We'll see more of them. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. You guys are killing me here. <laughs> yeah. Me been waiting like since season like what two to see this man again. But I guess I'll have to take it. You heard it here, folks. We cannot say. Um so I guess Haley, you can have the next uh, one. well you wrote this one too. Could you maybe go on this one? Because I don't quite understand it. Yeah, it's sure. A, it's a doozy. Uh oh. Me looking in. Oh yeah, okay. So that was a doozy for me too. Amaya finding work around around for the hostage deal rather than giving up the sunseed. Is that a choice she always would have made, or is it influenced by a relationship to Janai and the fact that she knows she's gonna be Janai's queen someday and that Janai is trusting her to rule well? So um I think it's mostly about when I this one is phrased, um is like finding work around the hostage deal rather than giving up the sunseed. It's like Amaya doesn't give up, you know, she doesn't give up the sunset right away for the deny, despite the fact that that is her fiance, that is, you know, the love of her life. Is there some place where that is influenced by Janai's influence, knowing that, or is that coming from her being like a general, you know, is like, is that part of Amaya's growth, knowing that someday she's going to be co-ruler, queen, sovereign, whatever, with Janai, or is that coming from like Amaya as a person? not giving up the sunseed for her partner. So first of all, it might be hard to see in that scene where where she's figuring this out, Um, but the horns are there, right? And they're the ones making the decision, if that's not clear from the way the scene is staged. Amaya's not in charge as the fiance of the queen. She doesn't get to make the decision. She's pleading a case. She's saying what she thinks Janai would do and what Janai cared about and she's passionate about it. So so what I'm not clear about would be as she proposed whatever she proposed, what is Miana thinking in terms of like, okay, is he going to be caught? Is is Kareem going to be caught off guard? If I pushed you hard in the other direction, is my real loyalty going to be revealed? Like those are things we don't kind of see play out, but that probably influenced her decision. And I suspect her decision was to go with the flow 
and Kareem will be fine and I will make a play while no one's looking and we will, he'll still get what he wants in the end because I'm going to make my play. So, but to, to Amaya and her decision, I mean, I think like, I don't know. I, it's probably both. I mean, it's Janai. She's imagining that Janai would say, don't save me. Like the sunset is the future of our people. You have to keep it safe and that's not a trade you can make and whatever. So, um, but I don't know, but I think she has to do something and be brave and try to save her fiance. I don't know if that's, that's a fair answer. Vilas, would you, what would you add? I like that she's sort of taking charge. Uh, it's not, you can, you can tell that she's improvising a little bit, right? Uh, or at least she's acting on her own in, you know, for the greater good of, um, Kareem's vision, really, right, Yana? So, so I, I do like that. I, do, I like that she's not just a puppet. Like she's she's a very powerful um, and strong-minded character on her own. That's that is what I wanted to add. <laughs> yeah, cool, awesome. Okay, all right. So yeah, on to the next question. Um, so a big reveal was that Kapar is in the fourth coin, who was Viren's mentor. Um, and I, I thought it was awesome that I believe seasons ago, you know, one of the end credits, I think there was like four coins somewhere or something. And some people yeah. were like, oh, that's just like, that was just another coin, you know, just, I don't know, mistake or they, it was just there, it's you know, to make it, you know, yeah, it's just four coins, but turns out there was something to it. And now yeah. we know what it was. Um, so for people that haven't read Puzzle House to infer some things, is there anything that you can tell us about his relationship to Viren? Well, I mean, he's Viren's mentor. He was his predecessor as High Mage um, of Catullus. Um, I think as you learn in um, Puzzle House, he was King King Atticus was king, when, which is um, uh, Harrow's dad. When uh, he was in charge, though, Atticus was also in charge when Viren first took over as well. So... Um, yeah, we'll learn more about Kapar in the next season, I can tell you. We'll learn more. So, um, <laughs> you know what cracks me up? <laughs> no, this was brought up to me. I was like, uh, was like his name is Copper. It's like, <laughs> that's, his that's name, what? His name is Kapar. I was like, um, somebody brought up to me. Well, actually, it was Dragons that brought up to me. He's like, dude, he's in the fourth. Like, yeah, of course he's in the fourth coin. His name is Copper. <laughs> no, that's, yeah. Oh no, we attended that. That was definitely <laughs> symbolism. I just thought it was funny. It suggests the metal in which he is imprisoned. <laughs> it's just funnier That'd than it should though, be. Actually. <laughs> there are a few things that are funnier than it should be to me in the Dragon Brands. The first one being like the speed at which that Viren buried Harrow. Like that shouldn't be funny to me. But it absolutely is because um in the context, because he buries him like two hours after he gets he, he dies. And then when Amaya does that thing where she's like, um, what is what does she say? She's like, he's like, he's like, I was ready to die for him. And then she's like, well, what went wrong? It's like that meme that go that she's like, but did you die? <laughs> mm -hmm. So this is one of those things that are like, this is funnier than it really should be to me. But, you know, um, I guess that's my cue. Um, so on that point, oh, Claudia, Claudia went full yeah. Ursula this season. 
Right. I noticed and loved the callbacks to season two with as with her telling Ezra and she'll squeeze it out of him. Um, I think that was a callback to season two, episode two, and Callum's judgy face. What has Claudia's journey been like? We've seen it, but coming from you, what is going on with her mentally? Um, because this can't be good for her, especially in the wake of losing her father and losing her leg. And quite frankly, in my opinion, she is losing her mind. Vilas, you want to take it? You want me to take it? You want to double team it? You, I, have, I have a crying crying baby in the background, but uh, um, I... I, again, I guess I've mentioned a little earlier in the in the episode here, like it's it's just great to see the characters getting so thrown in the deep, in the deep end, literally in the deep end of this season. Um, some of them can swim, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, I love to see Rayla overcoming her fear of water and uh, ultimately, you know, sees the uh, stick in the wheel for Claudia's plan and, you know, that's it doesn't turn out so well for Claudia and you know, she, she, you know, Claudia really wants to do what's what's best for her and her family, right? Um, but some some of her methods definitely are getting a little bit more sinister and questionable in season five for sure. And um, but but then you know, it's just I don't know how she's going to act in season six. That's the big question. Like she maybe she retires. You know, who knows? Maybe we don't see Claudia. Maybe that's it. Well, and how is she going to be impacted? <laughs> By Viren's decision at the end of the season, yeah. right? That's going to have an impact on her. And the question is, does that drive her? Does it pull her back toward the light or drive her further into darkness? That's a good question. Because uh, I could definitely go either way. I am personally, not, and this is obviously, we're not, we're not getting a spoiler for this. I am personally convinced that this man is not dead. Like for me, there's no way that he would just die off. I mean, obviously he didn't die off screen, but for me, I'm like, there's no way he would die off screen like that, his last breath, especially not before seeing his kids. But you know, that made me think of another alternative question. We didn't write this down, but is it on purpose that Rayla really is mostly using Renan's weapon this time? Like she, we don't see her use her butterfly blades almost, I think even once. So her cutting off Claudia's leg tentacle, I guess, um, with leg tentacle um with Renan's blade almost like almost like leaving hers untainted is purpose right I, I like yeah. The, yeah go ahead no. okay well you know, I, I, Renan was her mentor and teacher right and he was an actual assassin who could kill um so by sort of leaning into the his weapons and the symbols that represent Renan also showing her being a bit more, you know, she, she, you know, she chops a leg off of, <laughs> of one of our characters. It's pretty, pretty intense. So we see her, we see, uh, you know, Rayla grow in that sense. Um, she doesn't quite take a life, but she's, you know, becoming more capable for sure. And I, I think I like that we are using Unan's weapon, weapons quite a bit for that. I love that you're that that we're characterizing her maiming another main character as character growth hey doesn't doesn't say it has to be well I opposite for claudia <laughs> i would i would argue that that the, that the character development i wouldn't say it's bad actually i would not say it's negative character growth i being someone who wrote like sides of the moon as like rayla being an assassin so but um i actually thought you know it's kind of clever kind of clever way to like 
And I was like, oh, this is kind of gory, actually, when you think about it. Like, you know, you can't exactly cut the leg off of an 18-year-old on, 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 on a kick show, but you sure can cut their tentacle off, I guess, if they're like half an off, half a squid at the moment, um, technically. So it's like, oh, that's kind of clever, clever way to get around that. Because um, we definitely see it. We definitely see it. Full clean come off. It was a cool scene. It was a cool, actually, shot. Not going to lie. Probably one of my favorite shots in the season. Um, was it was it a surprise to you guys? Like a little bit, yeah. Probably not as much of a surprise as the um as the Aravos being Viren's baby daddy thing, but it was definitely a surprise. I'm never getting over that. I need you guys to understand that. Definitely. That that was like an episode of Mari to me. It felt like I was watching. I said this several times to several people, but it's like it felt like I was watching an episode of Jerry Springer. That's what it felt like. Uh, <laughs> see, he appreciates. Hmm. Okay, so after I think, I mean, I think it was teased for a while now, but we finally met the mushroom mage. Uh, towards the end, is there anything you can tell us about them? Uh, yeah, besides the little that we saw. I, I mean, Muko, right? He's name. He's um, I don't want to say for and inspired by our writer producer. Neil Mukopatai, who who uh, happens to be an amateur but world class mycologist and mushroom oh, expert. Muko. And so his okay. name for Neil, and um, yeah, you'll find out more about his their his motivations next year, next season. I mean, oh my god! <laughs> you know what's funny is like I was like that name sounds familiar, but I was like okay, Neil Mukopatai, okay. That that makes so much more sense. I was like, why is this like ringing a bell in my head? I just don't know where it's coming from. I don't know anybody named Muko. Um, yeah, he's a cute little guy. He's he reminds yeah. me. He reminds me of the what is it? The mush? Is it the toad? Not the toad. The from Mario reminds me of like that little toad dude. A little bit. Oh, toad. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. You have well, a question. Yes, actually, I got a couple of random questions because it's kind of <laughs> important this season. Um, gotta ask about Raylan this season. Can you tell us about where they're at now? We know they love each other. Um, which I, but which as an addendum, I really appreciated. It was kind of a, it was kind of an a spec way of looking at actually, arguably, romantic relationships in a way, like an a spec lens. Um, but sorry, I, can you, yeah, about. can you explain oh, that? I don't think everyone yeah. knows what that word means. Um, um, asexual, like ace arrow arguably like um a spec a spec yeah. or a spec okay yeah like a, a, like a spectrum a spectrum, spectrum. A yeah, spectrum. okay okay thank yeah you. like a very kind of like um which p for those who yeah. do when are listening they kind of understand kind of what that means but yeah that's kind of what that means um uh, it's yeah, basically in a way it's like it's the lens in which it's very um not platonically exactly but platonic romantically in a way lens that i thought looked at it this season um maybe because that. i have a I have a lot of ace friends, so um, I, I, I kind of picked up on that vibe. But um, Callum loses it this season. Like, he will do anything for really. He says it, and he obviously does it. Um, will we be revisiting the dark place he kind of went to for her again? Um, especially since this is kind of the second time at this point that he has he has done dark magic to help her. And then, of course, it's like a callback again to season two, I'm assuming. Um, so, yeah. Um, so it's, it seemed like you're, you started talking about the relationship, but then you wanted, you want to ask about 
will we revisit the fact that he used dark magic? So it's not a relationship question necessarily, but well, Callum, it's, yeah. It's more like, um, will we, yeah, we revisiting though, specifically, will we be revisiting that relationship in terms of where he kind of will do anything for her? Like he, he goes into this dark place for her again. Like it's kind of like the second time we've kind of seen the specifics way in which- Yeah, we might. Yeah. Here's a question. Would she do anything for him? Hmm. And what what would he call upon her to do if that was the case? That's that's a question we'll ask next that's, season. That's an interesting question. That's gonna stir up some stuff. I like yeah. that. Here we go. We're gonna ask it next year uh, or next season. I keep saying next year. <laughs> oh. um, I mean, it's I don't know when season six is coming. To be yeah. clear, so to yeah. be one hundred percent clear, neither do does Vilas. We do not know yet. Yeah. So uh, I think it's fair to say. Otherwise, I would say we can't say, but we can't even say because we just don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. But it will be, you know, it won't be like too too long, too long. But it'll be anyway, whatever. Um, relationship wise, yeah, I was very happy to see that Dragon Prince fans saw the meaningful development in their relationship and appreciated it and enjoyed it and felt it without kissing. Right. So not not that there shouldn't be kissing, but that. We thought people were going to be like, oh, make them smooch already. Why are they just trying to develop trust? And and the answer is because it all got blown, destroyed and, and withered and scarred over. And like they have a lot of work to do as friends even. And so. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's where we focused the energy between them um, here. Uh, I will say I'll add one more thing. Another way that the use of him using dark magic will revisit is, do you think he's going to use dark magic again? What are the long-term consequences of that? How does that change him? Does he evolve past beyond the pale of the person she knows and trusts or not? What, what does that character development and personal development mean to Callum, is he going to go down that path or not? And what does that mean to their relationship, trust, friendship, et cetera? That, those are the questions I ask you just to make you worry about some things. You know, what's funny is that actually in the, what I see sometimes is like, is there is this kind of, um, not discourse exactly, but there is sometimes this um, almost thing of like, Callum won't do that because it's not moral. And it's like, yeah, but what is morality? Like what, and what is the measure of morality to you versus what measure of morality to Callum is where um, even in Telezadia, it seems like, and even in the show, it seems like his measure of morality more so seems to be about his devotion to the people he loves versus like necessarily a sense of justice, which even then is very subjective in some, in some ways. So yeah, I think those are some, some interesting questions. Did were you were you wanting to add something, Vilas? No, 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 no. I just I'm I'm just taking it all in and like I'm reflecting on all the questions here. <laughs> uh, I have I do have another random question. Not gonna lie. Um. Oh, I think. Uh, let's see. Where is it? Um. On the Rayla note, though, Rayla opens up more. Can you tell us how that? Although you might have kind of answered it. Can you tell us how that and their relationship enforces some of the theme and of slash arcano of the ocean this this season i kind of personally saw it as like them learning to trust each other again them learning to kind of allow each other to like them kind of like trusting each other without really necessarily 
needing an explanation or knowing like, like being kind of what Callum says about accepting I kind of felt personally that their relationship reinforced that theme of the arcanum this season and that we kind of see especially Callum but even Rayla we see both of them trust each other with um very vulnerable parts about of them again so you're asking how that connects with the arcanum yeah kind of like how they it felt to me like their relationship and their development and then trusting learning to trust each other again and trusting each other despite yeah. not knowing anything enforce that i think a lot of the arcana on some level, it's this idea that you're born knowing it, right? If you're of that primal, you connect to it in some way. And there's some thing about the way humans know things and learn things that's that makes it hard. You can't just say, here's what it is. Here's, here's how it works, right? So all of them on some level have to do with some deep understanding of a point of view or way of thinking or way of understanding the world, yourself, your relation to the world, et cetera, right? So the same idea of the ocean, the ocean arcanum and this idea of like kind of the depth of the ocean, the, the, just the massive, I mean, there's something about it that it's, it's, that is not unlike this, the sky and like the idea of like your relationship to it and being the wing and what does that mean? And, but understanding and ex that arcana more has to do with accepting those depths and the inevitability of the tides, you know, like if you're sailing a boat, you know, like you can check the wind and you can make some decisions and do whatever, but the tides are going to be the tides and you're just going to have to make decisions around that. So there's some level of like acceptance and understanding of something deep that's important here. Um, and the good news is that when Callum and Rayla go to that deep place, the truth is, no matter what happened in the last two years, there's a very deep and unconditional trust. There is something there where they see each other for who they are and know their deep goodness and, you know, that that's unbreakable and that's valuable and important. So I don't know. That's the best I can explain it. It's always going to be impossible to explain Arcana because they're more emotional, metaphorical world point of view ideas that connect to the primal. I'll say a metaphor that, about the moon primal really quickly uh, that recently uh, hit me. I can't even remember who it was. I was listening to NPR and some writer, and I, I wish I could recall who, was talking about this idea that someone conveyed to him about uh, our relationship with the world and that your eye can only ever see half of something and that his realizing that like blew his mind think of a cube he said at most you can turn it you can see three sides if you keep turning it you're going to see a different three but there's always three turned away from you anything you see any appearance is a part that you're seeing and a part that you're not seeing, but believing in and understanding, right? And somewhere in, in that relationship between appearance and reality is, you know, a way you construct the world through a combination of half sensation and half, you know, kind of hardwired belief in the rest of the reality that you don't see. 
I love that. I love ideas like that. Sounds like two things. Sounds like a little bit like, and I, Michael has some level of this, but especially in Asian cultures, it sounds kind of like it reminds me of the concept of saving face. Um, and then also it reminds me of the concept of object permeance, <laughs> just maybe just because we, because of the way we're describing it. But yeah, it kind of reminds me about saving face in a way of like, um, there is always kind of a side that like, that you present to the world um, and all that and all that. But there's also a side that you, you know, but I kind of also wonder what you mean when you're talking yeah, about. No, absolutely. Right. I think those ideas don't just apply to say sensation versus existence, right? They have, they apply to identity and social presentation, right? What does someone perceive about you and your identity and who you are because of what you put forward and what you, what, what are the three sides of your cube you're showing? You might show a different three sides, you know, to one person than to another, you know, you might be able to turn your cube, you know, entirely. And, and by the way, there are people in your life who see different parts of you at different times and who know and understand all six sides of you, of your cube. I don't know. I'm just kind of talking it through, but I love that, right? It's not just about sense versus existence. It's also can be identity and how you present yourself. That's cool. Ooh, that's cool. I like that actually. That's that's deep. <laughs> that's, that's really deep. That's deep, man. I need to go to Taco Bell. I'm so hungry. I need five burritos. Um, yeah, it's one of, like I just love that the way that you there's you could just make fill a whole book with like how each arcane and like the thought process behind it. And I hope we get to learn more about like hopefully the others a little bit. Arch idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um yeah, okay. So let's talk about Soren for a little bit. If yeah. So where is he at emotionally with his own trauma? Does him not opening up about it on screen not mean he's not dealing with it? I would say that we spent some time on that um, and he's getting a little bit of a breather here. He's found some balance uh, in this new hierarchy and setup and he's thriving as the king, you know, crown god. Um, so he's really his role has really become supporting the new, the young king uh, in his many challenges. So yeah, there's a lot of trauma and there's also trauma we haven't yet told anybody about that will come to light at some point. He just scared off Soren fans. Yay, more trauma. It's, at, at the same time, though, as that he's not like maybe consciously dealing with his own thing, he's tucked it away. He's compartmentalized a bit because he's had to, right? I mean, like, given the situation with his dad and his sister, if you thought about that all night long, you would tear you apart, right? So you have to be <laughs> like, I'm, I'm myself. I'm serving the truth that I see and the king I believe in and that's who I am. And you kind of tuck that away. On the other hand, he processes it in a really powerful way. One of the ways he processes it is when he's talking to Deadwood, who we later learn is, his name is Elmer Green. And um, I didn't he, know the green part. <laughs> yes. Oh, he says Elmer, but yes, it's Elmer Green. He, um, I think we cut it because we didn't want to introduce the idea of last names and all that, all those questions. But anyway, um, but that, that's really powerful to me, right? That scene, he, I mean, he literally absorbs a lot of pain and violence from this guy trying to help him work through something that Soren himself has probably 
done a lot to process, but also compartmentalize something, some of, and there's something about that. And you see that in the world where certain kinds of therapists are people who have uh, struggled themselves with some of the issues that they later help others with, or, you know, addiction counselors or people like that. And I think that there's, there's something kind of wonderful about that idea that you can grow from something and then want to help others grow with less of the struggle that you had, right? That idea. And then in the act of passing on whatever wisdom and growth you're passing on through teaching or mentoring or whatever healing process you're sharing, um, you're processing it more yourself. You're, you're continuing to process your own trauma. So I think that is a place where Soren does do some, you know, indirect processing of his trauma. Um, we'll have to see if Word of Dragons agrees with that idea. <laughs> I'm sorry. Get to run everything by them before making. Oh, they're gonna. They're, oh, this is gonna be funny to me. This is they're just gonna flip a little bit. But um, I do, I do love that actually. And because one thing I've I've talked to um different fans about is like you know for me it's like just because Soren doesn't really have a relationship with his his family does not mean he does not love them and it does not mean he does not like have trauma related to that because it's like having issues with your parent family having trauma with your family loving your family and like not and you know like those are all can coexist like Soren's situation is actually very complex it's like yeah my sister you know my dad almost turned me into my dad went became you know a super villain basically turned and you know turned my sister like tricked me into stabbing him and then it wasn't real but then he actually died and then I saw him come back to life and all that well he didn't see it obviously but he obviously saw it so it's like it's like no there's a lot going on right there um and I just like I like to acknowledge this idea that it's like Soren can love his father and of course his sister but he can love his father he can have no relationship with his father and have a lot of trauma related to his entire family and all those can coexist at the same time and you kind of have to do something with it. So comp talking about compartmentalizing makes a lot of sense. It's like, it's like, they're not in his face every day. I think it'd be a little different if maybe they were sitting in the dungeon every day, you know, that would probably weigh on him maybe a little more. I wouldn't know, but um, yeah. So I like that answer. Um, let's see. Oh, I'm going to let you ask this one, Haley. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, just because I like this character a lot. Um, well, he has a new name now, but Associate Crow Lord. He only had like one small scene this season. Uh, I'm just wondering, will we be getting more backstory in him eventually? Any, anything else? Or if not, can you tell us anything about him? Um, we do have more Associate Crow Lord coming. Um, tidbits. I don't know how, how much to say. Um, what else can we say about... <laughs> For me, he, he's like, you know, I like to sort of, I, I love castles. And we used to say that the show had a lot of, you know, was sort of like, we, we need some castle pawn here and there, like some really nice shots of the castle. Uh, but you also wanted to feel sort of populated with interesting people. And he's definitely one of those where I'm like, I would love to walk the halls of Catullus Castle and run into him and have a strange conversation with him. And I'm just like, There's, who else is in this castle when, you know, and he's sort of representing a lot of world building in that sense. 
and he's just yeah and he's a fan favorite and a, a fresh some fresh air always when he enters the scene so, mm -hmm. well, so how could you how could you not include him in the future I, I know, but he only got one scene. I got a little scared this time. <laughs> I'm sus about him. I just, I keep thinking about that credit scene at the end of like the season he was introduced in with that big crow lord thing. I was like, I am so sus about you because there is no reason to draw that like that if there is not something coming up. Like you are some secret mastermind or you're like a secret star touch yeah. elf or some shit like that. I don't know, but you know, I'm just concerned. Do you think you'll ever get to see his boss? I, I want to say, I, I, I think so. There's no reason to have that. Hope so. Otherwise, and I'm so I'm like I'm concerned about that. <laughs> that, but um, speaking of concerns, um, so favorite fandom topic, <laughs> dark magic is complex, but we see the characters starting to edge away from or toward it. It's still a mystery, but is it possibly some extension of Erebos' will? And if you can't answer that, tell us about the narrative intention or nature of it in the story, as it is now, I probably should add. What is it there to remind us of and serve in the narrative? I guess, obviously, it's complex, but, like, is, is dark magic truly sustainable? Or is it kind of like a trick of the eye, where a trick of the mind, where it's like, because it is a short-term solution, it feels sustainable? Because it's often compared to, like... Um, different industries in the world, but I find it personally hard to compare that to certain industries in our world. I think of it more maybe like closer to oil, which is not very sustainable, um, but right. very short-term solution. And so it's like, so I think, but being a fantasy world, it has, for me, it's like dark magic is power, which is very different from like a resource in the real world. When something is power, um, right. there's a different sense of why you use it for survivability. So I'm like, from that angle, it's like, what is, not say what are we supposed to think? Cause I think that that's not the intention, of course. It's like, what is like you know we see Viren obviously say that I'm done with dark magic. It's very connected to Erevos. I think there are hints that he gave it to humanity. Um, yes. So it's like, is it healthy? Is it not healthy? Like, what is it? Um, well, I think there's something very Kantian about it here, which is to say, you know, Kant has this categorical imperative idea, which is sort of like you can figure out the universal rules of right and wrong mm -hmm. by saying what rules can be universal and rules that cannot be universal because they create some contradiction. Um, well, there's some reason that's part of why they're wrong is they literally can't be a universal rule. I, I'm not doing a great job explaining it, but essentially another way of looking at it would be someone using dark magic might say, well, the ends justify the means. And if your ends are, you have an intention that is to help humanity or do something positive or save a group of people from starvation or whatever, then it doesn't matter what you do. You have to achieve it. You have to do what you have to do because your ends are really positive. And that's the morality that they are grappling with is one where ends justify means. Whereas it's more of a Kantian morality maybe with that, that does not like that because it says, well, no, means have to be you have to all, all they have to be universal scalable right like you can't just say if, if your means are somehow non-sustainable or contradict themselves when you universalize if everyone mm. took every creature to do whatever we'd run out of creatures or or we would murder each other or whatever you can't do that so so yes it's complicated and but it is kantian which is to say 
the some of the contradiction in dark magic is in it's not it's non-sustainability as you said right the idea that eventually you know um now there's also potentially some immorality in the idea of like and this is the same thing as like you know we decide every day like whether it's i'll have a hamburger and a cow's life is less important than mine or maybe you're like well i like mammals um but a fish's life, that's definitely less important than mine, right? So we make decisions like that. Many people make decisions like yeah. that, and some people decide not to. Um, well, it's similar here, right? I mean, like, you kill a magma titan and take its heart. You saved, you know, thousands and thousands of starving people. Like, maybe that's worth it. Maybe you make that trade. Or maybe, maybe it's wrong. No matter, there's no way to put a, you know it's trolley problems, right? It's like, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a trolley problem. Problem. but, um, but yeah, I, th I think you're, you're right in characterizing it as a, it's certainly a more complex, um, you know, justification that is required to pursue dark magic. And there are some people who would not accept that justification, but what's interesting about it is, you know, the questions, there are questions you can, you can come out on either side of it. You know, there, there are cases, you know, would Rayla have died if Callum hadn't used dark magic? Yeah, I think she would have. So did he have to, are we thankful that he did? Thank goodness. Well, yes, we love Rayla. Well, of course we needed him to do that. You know what I mean? Like, so there's some kind of morality that sometimes is based on your attachment. Now, if you said, should Callum use dark magic to save one person knowing that he'll, he may be corrupted for the long term and his potential to be, to be, you know, a hero in the future may be altered and his potential to be manipulated or, you know, go down the wrong path, all that risk to save one person. Well, now you might say, Oh no, he shouldn't one person, but then if I go, but it was Rayla, then you go, oh no, yeah, he needs to do it. So <laughs> I don't know, but it's also, it's even that, right? It's like, it comes down to like, well, in that moment, what did he do? Well, in that moment, you know, he took like a, I, I think the ingredient like, is like a piece of like a, a snake worm or something. A or something, Yeah, right? something like that. He didn't kill it. It was already dead. It's already dead, man. What did he do? Well, I don't know. He, he probably supported the system. So it is complex. It's worth arguing about a bit. There's not a clear right or wrong. Um, there are risks. There are long-term consequences. Those are baked into it. Um, but I don't know. When it's when it's your mom in trouble, what do you do? You do the dark magic. You save mom, right? I do. I gotta. I gotta ask. Uh, yes, my mom listens to the podcast. I would do dark magic. <laughs> save you. I would. I I gotta ask, and this is just from because I've I've been thing about this for a while is there considering the whole thing with Erebos yeah the whole like I swallowed her there's there's only so many ways you can interpret that there's like there's like three ways um and then the dull dark magic thing yeah. is there a cannibalism motif going on here at any all at least intentionally or unintentionally because to some <laughs> uh to some degree it feels like there's like a like a an interesting and I don't have I'm with doing... dark magic right is that your yeah in general oh. magic is cannibalism is that yeah there is definitely something i mean there's a continuum of consumption right yes and there's some 
somewhere on the continuum where you have some sort of sustainable consumption, you're growing more plants or whatever, and there's some <laughs> where consuming is stealing the essence of something else is is violently taking a life or violently taking essence for your own purpose, for your own will, for your own power, right? So, um, and, and is, does it get to cannibalism, right? Is there's somewhere in the middle where it's a magical creature and somewhere further along where it's another human being or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's all on the same continuum. It's just here. interesting because it's like, there's a couple of us. One, obviously, Erebus is an elf. If he ate another elf, that's cannibalism. If you looked at the fact that, that that you have like, okay, well, if I'm magic and you're magic and I eat your magic, is that not cannibalism? And then everything, I noticed this thing where Erebos, he does, and this is going to sound terrible, but <laughs> this is an adult, not adult, but this is a fine podcast to say. He has a lot to do with throats. Like every year they're coming out of somebody's throat or something is coming out of his throat. Like it's the little, his son coming out of his mouth. He came out of Viren's throat. Um, I think I'm sure there's another example. So I don't know. There's just a lot going on here with like eating things or regurgitating them, which may or may not be intentional. But I'm like, this just feels like there's a lot of eating yeah. and grossness going on here. Uh, I am. You've got me thinking about dinner anyway. <laughs> like just yeah, think about dinner okay <laughs> yes so well good to hear that yeah i was like and guys of course you know half of, the, of course that's a i'm sure that dragons has a has a meta somewhere about that they have a library i mean that literally um so oh i have to ask this is not written down but i have to ask about about this about this scandalous thing that that, that was like my highlight of the season that that threw me all the way um was was that planned i mean i'm sure it was planned but did you know because that were totally recharacterized as that ritual in season two where it feels very seductive um because it's like obviously it's not the same but the nature of it and like did you know that that was their son at that point like when you wrote that or was that a thing that came up be like hey you know it'd be cool why is it so scandalous for a thousands of years old semi-deity elf and a perfectly lovely human man to have a cosmic connection and for that connection to create a love child with sparkly wings and you it, know it reminded me it made me feel like i may granted maybe this is just from my cultural standpoint but like this, I was like, this feels like a very intense Tyler Perry movie. Um, no, the answer is yes, we've known for the whole time. We, we awesome. knew we knew the caterpillar was going to become a little homunculus and that it was, I mean, I didn't think of it, to be fair, I didn't think of it in quite the dirty way some people <laughs> seem to be interpreting it. It was sort of more like, no, this is a cosmic magical outcome of their connecting through space and time is this being and you know and that's cosmic and weird i didn't think of it as kind of like uh i think for me I've it was heard a term yeah i think for me it was funny because we when he as when arabo says our child viren like it looks like he had like a nanosecond he was like he's like no he's like no the fuck i'm like no the fuck i don't like i know where i've been <laughs> right right yeah but 
Yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, it's different, different rules. People play different ways out here in Zadia. I don't know what to say. Um, Vilas, did you have anything to add? I feel like you might have had some. <laughs> no, I'm just enjoying it. It's great. Um, yeah, just watch out who you spend time with, I guess. <laughs> you know, we might wake up one morning and uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna not stick with that. Um, but I guess that's our last question. Um, unless you guys have questions you want to ask, because I like to sometimes ask if the creators or people we have on board have questions, because we get to ask you guys a bunch of questions. And I don't know if you have any to pose for us or anybody else. Do you think Erebos is telling the truth to Viren in the end? Tomorrow the sun will rise and you will not. Mm. What do you think? I think well, he's I think he's like Rumpel Stilton. Well, isn't that whole thing Erevos doesn't lie so I think it's kind of like a very kind of like a classic very folktale slash mythology thing where for me he's like yeah he's probably telling the truth but it's not the way that you're interpreting it will he rise like will he rise like will he be able to get up will he rise like will it will it be him or like oh my my personal theory is that it needed the blood of his child well Claudia came to the surface with a cutoff leg for me it's like oh well she and he's like, you had to sacrifice your child. It's like, well, technically he did sacrifice his child and she did lose some blood. So that's my theory, personally. Do you think Viren believes him? I feel like Viren does believe him, but I think that he's also not like, I don't know, Haley, like, but in his right mind? I think he believes him, but I don't think it's then for Viren. <laughs> I think Viren 90-10 believes him. I think... And, and that's important because I think part of him hopes that it's not true, but part of him believes that it is true and knows that in denying this ritual, he'll die. Right? So, I mean, and that's, it's important because it's brave. So, yeah. I don't know. It's courage. Yeah, the, the weird part about it is that me and Air, me and Arrows, me and Viren have the same um, star sign. We're both Aries, and so I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is a little too close to home. Sorry, Vilas, what did you have on that front? Did you have a question for them? Yeah, just you know, what are you guys most excited about for season six? I personally, um, I'm excited for a lot of things. But I really want to know more about Erevos, especially we learned apparently that that child was Leola. And I thought she was a unicorn. Um, I could be getting my lore mixed up, though, well, to be honest. Yeah, give some context, because on the map, right, you're talking about the constellation. Yes. The child, the star touch child. Star touch elf. Yeah, in the intro on the map, we, we found out via Twitter that it's Leola. This whole time I thought it was Erevos, so I'm like, oh, so... Yeah. And I'm excited to, well, to yeah, about and not it was I mean you Aaron, you did a little QA on Twitter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't we didn't we didn't they say that? Didn't Callum and Rayla look up at the stars and go, Oh, what's but, that? We call it Leola's last wish. Who's Leola? The star, but then we yeah. didn't know the child. We don't see a constellation or yeah. anything in the sky. I thought connect. he pointed out the star, and then if you look at the map, the, the biggest star is clearly the one being held by oh. I don't know it, if anyone caught that. Then. I don't think got the connection. I think it was. It looked. It was like. Well, when you think of, I think it was like this interpreted as like we don't know where Star Touch Elves lives. I don't know if they live in Star Touch Lab. Yeah. Um, so in my mind, you're, it's listening, like, you're hoping in season six you 
find out more about that. Yes, especially when you consider like the whole see the cast out thing. There's this giant statue at the yeah. entrance. It's like, where is Erevos's prison? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Hmm. But you, Haley. Right. Exciting. Exciting. I just hear it's going to be a great season, so I'm just looking forward to it all. <laughs> I'm ex- I mean, I'm like, I'm ready to be shook. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a great season. Season six is amazing. Well, thank you guys so much. Yeah, thanks thank for you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us and all our and all our shenanigans. Um, always a pleasure. Uh, and yeah, so hoping for season six. Nobody knows when that is coming out. I think it's fair to say probably next year. It's already August, unless it's going to happen to air on December thirty first. Right. Um, but um, yeah. So I guess we'll. See, I mean, I'm sure we'll see you guys sooner than that. But we will see you guys. Are you guys going to New York, New York Comic Con? Anyone going to make it there? No. Okay. Never mind. Where, do, where uh, are you going? Atlanta. What's happening? Where's anyone going? I don't know. Well, my, my, yeah. uh, my money situation is yeah, okay. a little stricter, but um, hoping to make it to San Diego next year, though. That is the plan. That is yeah. the plan to do that. Um, so, but you guys should come to Washington. You know what? You guys should come to, if you guys have to make it to Emerald Comic Con, I will actually try to make it out there for that. All right. We should look into that for sure. Yeah. Or, or Lilac City Comic Con, which is my specific Spokane City Comic Con. Um, but yeah. So thanks you guys for coming. And um, this is us signing out. Bye. 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 Hey.